You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. WikiLeaks dumps what it claims are CIA source code files. The International Association of Athletics Federation says it was hacked by Fancy Bear. Two new rats are discovered in the wild, ISIS takes some cyber hits, and an investigator outlines the group's information operations manual. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, April 3, 2017. WikiLeaks' latest dump of purported CIA cyber operations documents is said to reveal Langley's obfuscation techniques, which some read as a false flag capability. On Friday, the group released 676 source code files for the Marble Framework, which is said to be a collection of tools the CIA used to make its hacking effectively untraceable and unattributable. Among the files are some suggested ways of including non-American English linguistic clues and attack code. Russian, Chinese, Korean, Arabic, and Farsi are specifically called out. This is perceived as particularly damaging because it arouses suspicion that much of what the U.S. intelligence community attributed to foreign nation-states, in fact, could have emerged from Langley. There's no positive evidence of CIA false flag operations, but the leak certainly benefits Russia above all other foreign cyber operators. It also will fuel attribution skepticism, which over the weekend induced some observers to call official U.S. conclusions that the Russians, in the form of Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear, were responsible for, among other things, the damaging email compromise the Democratic National Committee sustained during last U.S. elections. That skepticism has been fueled by security firm CrowdStrike's partial retraction of some results it released concerning Russian cyber operations, mostly directed against Ukraine. In this case, the recent skepticism is coming more from the political left than the political right, with at least one observer calling the DNC email compromise an inside leak, with attribution to the Russian intelligence services a cyber Tonkin Gulf incident. We don't know about that. There is a great deal of evidence that Russian services has been actively involved in influence operations against U.S. and other Western targets for some time. So this doesn't look like a case of seeing radar ghosts and dolphin wakes during the dog watches. But we do agree that hasty and mistaken attribution is problematic, especially when governments consider kinetic retaliation for cyber attacks. And the CyberWire has been warning about the possibility of a cyber Tonkin golf incident since October 2013. FBI investigations continue, as do those in both houses of Congress. 
The Senate's hearings are concentrating on Russian disinformation operations, now thought to have extended to several Republican targets as well. Speaking of Russia, the International Association of Athletics Federation, the IAAF, reports being compromised by Fancy Bear, the latest in a series of athletic association hacks since a number of Russian Olympians were booted from Rio last year on doping beefs. There's no hesitation or ambiguity at all in the IAAF's attribution. The CyberWire spent this past weekend at the annual Women in Cybersecurity event in Tucson, Arizona, where over 800 women and a handful of men enjoyed inspirational keynotes, technical breakout sessions, a poster session, a job fair, and much more. I caught up with some speakers and attendees and will be featuring their stories throughout the week. Svetla Walsh and Deja Baker are midshipmen at the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. In addition to their rigorous coursework at the academy, they're volunteering their time to put together a program at a local library for fourth and fifth graders called Hello Computer Science. We hear from Svetla Walsh first, followed by Deja Baker. Uh, This event kind of came together when the library reached out to the Naval Academy and said, Hey, uh, we'd like to run a coding event. We know you guys have some really smart midshipmen. Could you guys get some together and bring them over here? And Walsh uh, approached me and one other midshipman because I'm I'm a computer science major. She's an IT major, so we're going to work together with the high school students. It'll let them have ownership. They they created their own modules to work with the kids to teach them concepts about computer science. As midshipmen, you have a busy schedule. Why is it important for you to take time to do something like this? Um, I think just what matters to me is just giving back. um, And the the teachers in my lives that have given me a chance and said, you know, we want to help you, and I just want to do the same. We work a lot with underrepresented minorities, people that don't get a chance to be exposed to this environment, and I think it's not fair, and I want to do my part. Yeah, I think it's important to teach kids while they're younger about basic computer concepts so they can learn more later and know, I know something about that. I can actually do these things. I think a lot of people look at our majors and they're like, wow, computer science, that's super hard. Well, it's, it's not really, you know, it's, I mean, it's a harder major, I think. It's challenging, but I'm learning a lot. So I think the kids will, if they absorb the knowledge, maybe they think, I, we can do this too, just like you guys. Tell me, what is the path that, uh, that brought you here to studying computer science and uh, technical fields at the academy? Well, actually, I'm prior enlisted, uh, cryptologic technician, so I have a computer background in that sense. And I knew I wanted to go to college, so I applied as an enlisted person to go to the Naval Academy. So my path's a little different than, I guess, a high school student that went directly in. So, um, I'm from a small town. I'm one of eight. Um, I enlisted knowing that I wanted to go to college. I couldn't afford it, but I was, you know, book smart. But I was like, you know, I can't afford college. My family can't pay for me to go. So um, being enlisted gave me an opportunity to serve my country and as well learn some skills. Coming to the Academy, I got an opportunity to um, learn about all these different majors, and I always like technology, but I don't understand it. So it was like that curiosity of like, you know, I really like technology, but I don't understand it, and I want to actually understand it. So IT sounded like the best route to go. For that young woman who may be considering a career in tech, but isn't sure, maybe considering a military career, what uh, advice do you all have uh, with the experiences that you've had so far? I think I would tell that person to actually, that they can do it, that to not sell themselves short. I think as a female in general, we're told things growing up that maybe you should look more into the humanities, you shouldn't focus on STEM, and that's not true. We're we're just as smart as everyone else. We just need the opportunity to do that, or we need to believe in ourselves. So I think that's the biggest thing. I would say just role models as a black woman. It's like my role models growing up were kind of more in like the entertainment industry and just like what's on TV and what society perpetuates to me. You can do whatever you want to do and don't think you have to do one route because it's all you see. Like I'm, I'm hoping that I 
am at least doing my part as being a role model and saying, you know what, I love fashion, I love tech. And if you want to do the military, that's awesome. And then if you had another idea, like maybe going to fashion or tech, then go pursue it as well. Don't think like that you're, lo- you're locked in a certain path. Yeah, actually, that's important. Like, we're, mo- we're not just females, we're multifaceted. Like, we yes. have different, you know, different things going on. Svetla Walsh and Deja Baker are midshipmen from the United States Naval Academy. You'll be able to hear more from them and some of the other women at the Women in Cybersecurity Conference on an upcoming special edition of the CyberWire. The two major competing jihadist brands pursue somewhat different lines of attack. ISIS concentrates on information operations, but it's currently going through a rough patch with counter-messaging, counter-hacking, and arrests making inroads against the caliphate. Amok, regarded as the terrorist group's official news agency, has warned its users not to download a malicious app that impersonates a flash player. A number of visitors to the site have already been infected. It's apparently a watering hole attack disseminating spyware. Anonymous claims it's responsible for the hack. The anti-ISIS messaging that accompanies counterattacks like those Amok recently sustained have a consistent, symmetrical message. ISIS is weak. Indeed, inducing perception of weakness is perhaps the most profitable line the caliphate's opponents have followed. ISIS has so far had little success in direct cyber attacks on targets in the Dar al-Harb, that is, the world outside the caliphate, but British authorities are taking seriously signs and chatter that an attempt on infrastructure controls in the UK may be in the works. ISIS's competitor, al-Qaeda, appears to be at the root of recent restrictions on carrying laptops and similar devices on airliners. The group has apparently been studying airport security systems with a view to slipping bombs concealed in electronic devices aboard aircraft. Their activity is being tracked online and remains under investigation. Finally, we'd be remiss if we let you think that ordinary criminals were idle. Two new rats, that's remote-access Trojans, have been observed in the wild. Felismus by Forcepoint and Red Leaves by Japan Cert. Felismus exhibits a fairly sophisticated modularity, and Red Leaves is successfully being spread by, what else? Email. So get out there and set your rat traps accordingly. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. 
Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. Uh, David, welcome back. Um, I know you all there at WebRoot uh, recently published your annual threat report, and you wanted to share some of the findings from that report with us. Um, So let's start with polymorphic malware. I think we all are probably familiar with that, but just in case some of your listeners might not be, that's when a piece of malware is existing in the wild and it changes from every computer that it lands on. So it's never the same file. It might do the same um, type of attack, but it never looks the same on any machine that it lands on. And last year, we saw 94% of all malware we saw at WebRoot was polymorphic. And that means it only landed on a single machine. We, again, know this, that lists and older ways of of doing analysis on threats and uh, that are attacking computers, they they really have broken down at this point. And you do have to use a lot of uh, newer technologies around machine modeling and and, and watching the behaviors of these files rather than trying to identify the structure of the file. So let's talk some about phishing. So phishing is is my favorite topic. That well, that and ransomware they're kind of tied. Yeah. Um, I, I I've mentioned before, David, that I was in the Air Force back in the eighties, and when I when I was in the Air Force, the very first uh, training I had once I was out of basic at my security um, in, in the the computer work we were doing was that the number one way that people actually hacked into computer systems was social engineering your username and password. It was nothing fancy. It was that basic, and this is you know just social engineering, and this is the 80s. And here we are almost 30 years later, and phishing is still the number one way of getting um, into computer systems, and it, it is literally another form of social engineering someone's username and password. Yeah, there, there were some pretty sobering statistics in the report. Yes, so we, we see 84% of these phishing websites that are trying to grab this information are, are gone. They're out of existence in less than 24 hours. And, and what that means is you have to find active ways to protect yourself against phishing sites, one of which being just simple education, trying to uh, you know, learn about how phishing works. And I, I know you're Maybe average listener is not going to spend time reading about phishing, but they really do need to know what they're clicking on and why. And then also they need to have tools that will actively block against um, phishing websites, allowing them to go there. Um, and, and it needs to be dynamic, not just list-based, because these sites uh, disappear so quickly. All right, interesting stuff. David DeFore, as always, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. 
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.